Welcome to our latest installment of Brand of Brothers. My name is Doug Berger, and I will be your host through this branding journey. Thank you for tuning in. In this episode, I'm excited to share with you the latest in brand refreshes, a history lesson, wisdom nuggets, and so much more. Let's get branding. Brand updates. Let's talk about our latest favorite brand refresh, Kraft Heinz. You've probably seen it by now and quite possibly didn't even realize it. But just in case, you can see it for yourself in our Instagram feed or on our website, brandshowlive.com. On a scale of resounding success to epic failure, was it the good, the bad, or the ugly? Let's start with some general thoughts. So JKR absolutely killed it. They managed to unify incredibly distinctive elements from its logo and keystone shape to the color palette and typefaces. I give it a rating of, please pass the Heinz. Why, you might ask? I'll tell you. Every single touch point of the brand has personality that isn't too over the top. Simultaneously, it has moments of elegance and sophistication. It is a brilliantly accessible brand language that exudes thoughtful cohesiveness. And, of course, since we are all averse to change, how can it be improved? It does meander a bit from product to product. While I enjoy the differentiation, if you're going to create a formula, stick to it. When you're going to break the rules, be consistent about how you are going to break them. All in all, the tone and presentation is lovely. It's a family of close relatives and distant cousins that can all easily get along very well at their next reunion. And that's all I have to say about that. Favorite thoughts. So, is it an oldie but a goodie or something fresh from the typographic oven? Well, the latest fave is Decimal from Heffler & Company. According to their website, Decimal is inspired by how wristwatches once shared a distinctive form of lettering. You can actually watch how it was made in the Netflix original series Abstract, The Art of Design, Season 2, Episode 6. I highly recommend checking it out. I even wrote a little haiku review for you. So here goes nothing. Sure to make you smile, big or small, any style, truly versatile. From old watch dials, these distinctive styles transcend forms, celebrate time. That was fun. Thank you for indulging me. And of course, you can see it for yourself on our Instagram or website at brandshowlive.com, as well as on the Foundry's site, which you can find in the comments. Logo History Lesson Way back in the 1900s, before Adobe Illustrator or even the Mac, or even before we reappropriated the term branding from ranchers, there were the true pioneers of modern graphic design. And today's logo history lesson is about UPS, designed by none other than... Wait, actually, this one is quite complicated. Even though we don't really refer to it as the original UPS logo, the first iteration was created in 1916 by the founder of UPS. But 20 years later, they removed the eagle likely to avoid competing with the USPS logo. No, I'm kidding. Not really. That, did, that didn't happen until 1970. Anyhow, the version of the logo as we know it today was originated in 1961 by Paul Rand, 
who was an exceptionally prolific designer and creator of logos for a wide array of companies, including IBM and ABC, the television network. If you're not familiar, look him up. Anyhow, in 2003, branding agency powerhouse Future Brand reimagined the logo. The three-dimensional effect was removed in 2014 in favor of a simpler flattened appearance. And as always, you can check out our Instagram feed at brandshow.live to see what we're talking about. But for now, picture it. The most recent incarnation of the logo from 2014 is a simple shield that is rounded at the top with straight edges that taper to a sharp point at the bottom. Contained within the arc is a slight swoosh of gold that blends with the same colored stroke that edges its way around the shield. The remaining background is a dark chocolatey brown with lowercase letter forms, UPS, displayed in a customized sans serif typeface created by Future Brand in 2003. Sounds like a pretty cool logo, right? Do I like it? Well, it is a classic. It still has a nod to Paul Rand, but it has a contemporary vibe that gels with the history of the brand as well. I think I'm definitely better with it now that it's not superfluously three-dimensional. However, I do miss seeing the Paul Rand version. It just had more character, it was more personable, and it told you what the company did in a supremely simple fashion. All right, and moving on. Wisdom Nuggets. Now it's time to talk about something that may or may not have happened in my career and what I learned from it. So, the toxic client. Everybody experiences what could be described as a toxic client. My first years as a designer saw plenty that could be lumped into this category. Generally, these were practitioners of wanting cheap, fast, and good but especially focused on being cheap without sacrificing quality or expediency. As I gained experience, I learned the service we provide has value beyond time. The Graphic Artist Guild made this especially clear for me with materials like their handbook on pricing and ethical guidelines. So, as time went on, these so-called toxic clients transitioned from looking for a cheap logo to being proponents of scope creep. This is a classic situation where they will know what they want when they see it. So classic. I mean, we're talking excessive iterations or complete pivots. Pivots. Great. Now all I can think of is that scene from Friends. Pivot! Anyhow, I consider myself super lucky that none of these so-called toxic clients have been particularly abusive, though it has happened. And the appropriate thing to do always is to diplomatically and compassionately tell them to fuck right off, right? No, 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 I'm, I'm kidding. First off, before you begin any creative partnership, it is critically important there be a contract that describes the terms. Assuming it is not an open-ended contract like a subscription or a retainer, it should clearly and plainly state how many concepts and iterations are included. If a customer reaches the end of that scope, it's absolutely imperative to be open, honest, and completely candid by letting them know prior to the last round that they are approaching the end of the agreed terms. Simply ask them how they wish to proceed. 
The next consideration is to figure out how to make certain you are properly compensated while making the client feel as though they aren't being cheated. Again, this is what contracts are for, but more importantly, don't let the contract be the reason a relationship goes sour. Iterative fees can and should be included in the agreement so this doesn't become a sticking point later. Above all else, let these experiences become opportunities. Opportunities to learn, opportunities to help, and opportunities to become better. Well, that takes us to the end of this installment, and I certainly hope you enjoyed this episode of Brand of Brothers. Thanks again for tuning in. This episode was written, edited, and hosted by me, Doug Berger. I produced it with my professional partner in crime, Simon Jacobson. Find more details about the show on our website at brandshowlive.com. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends and colleagues. If you didn't, please share it with your family and enemies. Either way, please leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Tell us what you liked or how we can improve by dropping us a line at hello at brandshowlive.com. And if you really want to help, please take the survey at brandshowlive.com survey so we can convince advertisers we're better than we really are. You can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com brandshowlive. Thanks again for making it this far in the show. Until next time, branding wishes and marketing dreams.